This episode is brought to you by Harmony. Please stay tuned for more information about them later in the episode. What is up, everybody? I'm Scott Melker, and this is the Wolf of All Streets podcast, where twice a week I talk to your favorite personalities from the worlds of Bitcoin, finance, trading, art, music, sports, and politics, basically anyone with a good story to tell. Today's guest is a certified legend in the crypto space. As the CEO of both FTX Crypto Exchange and Alameda Research, SBF is known for his talents in arbitrage trading, building fascinating tech, creating top-of-the-line trading systems, and bringing crypto to the masses. The last time I interviewed SBF was last December, so it's safe to say that a lot has changed in the past seven months. It's my hope that he will share his thoughts on what's going on with the market, what it may take to turn things around. I also want to talk mainstream adoption and the massive moves being made by FTX in that direction. Sam Bateman-Fried, thank you so much for being here once again. Thanks for having me. So listen, the last time you were on, I asked about how you manage uh, six screens at a time and the effects on your neck. Uh, now I want to talk about your beanbag chair and if that's one of the secrets to uh, becoming a whale. Oh, certainly. I mean, you can't do it without that. Is it literally impossible to accumulate wealth without a beanbag that's chair? That's right. So does, do you just go back and forth between your main chair and the beanbag chair, depending on the, uh, depending on the mood? Uh, yeah, well, I, you know, I usually go to, the, uh, go to the beanbag to rest or sleep. And uh, I mean, it's certainly uh, not always the most comfortable bed in the world, but it's, it's super convenient. And it's, you know, it's sort of right, right, right back there. And uh, uh, the other things that helps me uh, stay in sort of a work mindset and keep keep a lot of the context in my mind that I'd other sort of, otherwise sort of like lose, uh, you know, for a, a full night's sleep in, in another venue. So I don't know. Do you ever get a full night's sleep? Or are you always in work mode? Yeah. So I do sometimes, I mean, I slept a lot over last day, actually probably a good solid, you know, 12 hours or so, but, um, but, but I think more generally, like I'll, I'll often, you know, take a, you know, two different, four-hour naps over the course of a day or something. It totally depends. Um, and and it, it really depends on my schedule, um, you know, as much as everything else, like just sort of when when have things been scheduled. Uh, and, you know, part of the problem sometimes is I'll have calls scheduled with people like all across the world. And so I'll have sort of like little kind of, you know, splashes of calls at, you know, four different segments throughout the day. And I'll kind of look at it like, yeah, you know, I see that period there, kind of got nothing going on for that, those four hours. Like, yeah, it looks like a tempting period to sleep. Pretty intense. So listen, as I touched on in the introduction, you're pushing me, obviously, crypto towards the masses on a level that I don't think we're seeing anyone else uh, doing. And it's funny because I've seen the criticisms where people are like, well, Major League Baseball, that's not a crypto audience. Mm -hmm. And I kind of shake my head and say, that's kind of the point. Marketing to the same people <laughs> right. that uh, already know about you seems pointless. So can you talk about the moves that you're making, why you're doing it, and, and what you think the future impact of that will be? Totally. And, you know, I think a lot of this comes down to where we came from as a company. Um, you know, the fact that, uh, that, you know, a lot of the success that we've had, we've had because of our product. And, you know, I think that's always been the thing we felt proudest about and, and the thing that, that we feel like we really have a lot to offer this space. And on the flip side, um, we're really late. Uh, we didn't launch anywhere till 20. 19, we didn't launch in the US till 2020. Um, and, you know, by that time, uh, there's already, you know, some adoption for, for the biggest players. Um, and so, you know, I, I think it's sort of like, you know, part of it is, is like, we think we're, we're ready 
in terms of, you know, getting, uh, in terms of really getting more, you know, more, getting our name out there more, getting more, uh, uh, more, more sort of adoption and more users, uh, we, we also have sort of historically been lagging behind um, in terms of, of, you know, mass users. And so I think for both of those reasons, you know, we're pretty excited to be, uh, to be getting out there more. And I think part of your point about, you know, which audiences are we targeting? Well, I mean, the answer to the answer is, I don't know, all of it, right? Like, like, like the answer to the answer is like anyone who might be a crypto user at some point. And of course, the hope is that that's, that's a lot of people. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, we're sort of thinking about like, well, what are the things that could really reach a lot of people? Is that why you're going for sports? Uh, I mean, it's uh, obviously uh, it's expensive. I have to imagine to, to be, <laughs> yep. you know, have 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 patches on Major League Baseball umpires. It's a partner with Tom Brady and, and the arena. Everybody knows. So, I mean, you have to have a very firm belief that this is going to be something that's mainstream and that everybody is talking about or interested in. Yeah. So, it's. Um... You know there aren't that many things that reach really a mass audience, and that reach reach a mass audience in a way that 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 is actually engaging, and that people actually care about, and and I think you know sports is one of the few things that really brings people together, um, and so you know when you're thinking about what are things that tens of millions of people follow closely and and really care about, like it's a short list, um. And so I think that's, you know, that's a lot of it. Another thing I'll say sort of on, in terms of the cost is, I don't know, and these are always sort of weird things to think about, but, um, you know, it costs, uh, it's not, it's not cheap, certainly, um, but it's not like, it, I don't know, we're sort of in a fortunate place where it's actually not, not nearly as much sort of as like the scale of a business. Um, and so, you know, it's not one of these things where it has to triple the size of our business to, to justify right. itself. Um, and, uh, and so I think that's sort of like, you know, a key piece of it. And, and part of what we're thinking is, look, like, when you look at, like, who is the typical FTX user right now? Like, who's the person who is most likely to be an FTX user? It's someone who spends six hours a day uh, thinking about crypto, right? It, it's someone for which crypto is... A lot of their life, um, but it's actually not easy to just take dollars and turn it into adoption amongst that demographic. Um, it's very easy to take a lot of other things, you know, to take energy, you know, to take time, to take product, and, and turn it into adoption. But but dollars are actually not exactly the currency that matters the most there because they already know who FTX is, you know. It's not like like we have friends come out they're like, oh, FTX, that's a crypto exchange. Yeah, maybe you should think about that. You know, like no, they they <laughs> they've already spent 30 hours of their life thinking about FTX. So um uh and and so I think that that it's really on the mass adoption front that you see much bigger returns to uh you know to 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 branding and marketing. Well, I remember you sort of breaking down actually in our last episode that your your um donation to Biden. And if you extrapolate out the numbers, how little actually 5 million is relative to the impact that it could have depending yeah. on who wins. I have to imagine you think of it sort of the same way you, that it's not, yeah. you don't need a direct metric in ROI on dollars in a certain amount of time to know that 
it's really cool to have the Miami arena in your name and that people are going to see that for years. And maybe the 20th time they walk in that arena, they sign up for the yeah. exchange. And sort of, right, exactly. And sort of our, you know, one way to think this is, I don't know, you know, more or less than a 2% increase in our business. Like, you know, that's sort of, you know, the bar has to hit. And from that perspective, like, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's like, you know, 25% of the sort of like mass branding, you know, that we've done. It's how a lot of people who have heard of us know about us. It's, you know, I think it's one of these things where it's, it's not even just about sort of direct user base growth. You know, it gets our name out there in a way which is really hard to replicate with other things. Yeah, that that makes perfect sense. And if it's really a one point one to two percent, if it even completely quote unquote fails, just the uh, the the PR around it and the news right. uh, covering it seems worth it almost. Exactly, and you know, people are thinking about well, what have you gotten so far from it? And on the one hand, I think actually a fair bit. On the other hand, like it doesn't even start it. You know, like it's. I mean, I mean, it's like we haven't even started the first NBA season in which we have the, the arena and, and, and already it's, it's paid off a decent amount. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm curious, and everybody's probably asking you, but Tom Brady and Giselle, I, I'm just yep. curious the evolution of that. And if you guys effectively got him interested in crypto, if he was genuinely interested and then you approached him because of that and it, it evolved that way. So it's, it's actually not, not quite either of those. We, we approached him and a number of other people not knowing, you know, how interested they were or weren't. Um, and, um, and then after approaching people, we sort of learned pretty quickly that he actually had already been interested in, in crypto. And I think that's one of the things that made the deal actually come together um, is that it was something that, I mean, you know, they're, they're, they're just actually excited about this. And that made us a lot more excited about them. That, that's so awesome. And so when you guys are considering these sort of endorsement deals, ambassadorships, are you casting a wide net sort of, as you just said? I mean, because Major League Baseball maybe may, wouldn't come to mind as the first place to go. I don't know, you know, um, or is it people come to you knowing that you guys are actually open to or amenable to these sort of sponsorships that maybe other people haven't done? So we approach people and people approach us, but honestly, there's a lot of adverse selection here to the people who approach you. We've had, you know, probably half of all the professional sports team in America teams in America reach out to us at this point, but they're not reaching out to us usually about the most desirable partnerships they have, right? They see that we've done one, they know it's worth worth an email, and then they send us the thing that they're having a lot of trouble offloading on anyone else. <laughs> and so the really popular thing right now, frankly, it's um the NBA jersey patches right. are the popular thing for uh, to try and offload on, on someone. The, and and what, what, what teams are doing here is, you know, there's sort of like two metrics that look at this, one of which is like, you know, well, we've also looked at, um, you know, we, we've looked at stadium naming rights. And, you know, a jersey patch is about two thirds the cost of a stadium naming right, which is a lot. Um, considering that like these, the naming rights are huge. I mean, sort of, you know, everyone knows about those. The jersey patch is like, I don't know, name, name to me an NBA jersey patch, right? Well, it's I like can name not. you one because I saw it in the in the news this week, which is the other crypto, right. you know, Stormex uh, on the, exactly. the Blazers, but I had never heard of or thought about it before in the past. Exactly. And so on the one hand, it's just like no chance it's worth two thirds of a stadium. Like, like that, that seems off by like a factor of like five to me or something. Or another way to think about it is it's like, you know, comparable sort of, you know, comparable sizes, like, Patches for one 
NBA team or, you know, all of MLB. And, and it's sort of like, I don't know, you just get these like kind of skewed ratios here, which make it seem pretty clear that like these things are not being really efficiently priced by the market. And that like, um, you know, they're not, uh, I, I don't think they're worth what they're going for. But, you know, what's happening is that teams is just realize like, oh, wow, I can like get sponsorship for another thing as well. Like, why not, you know? Um, and, um, and, and so anyway, you know, we get reached out about a lot of things that we have no interest in um, from the sponsorship side. And, you know, we, we tend to sort of like, I, I really tend to like hold off until we find something that we're really excited about that we think might really move the needle with prospective users. It's incredibly interesting to me to hear how you assess the opportunities because it just sounds like trading. Looking for an yeah. looking for an inefficiency and an opportunity that perhaps has a um, you know has disproportionate upside exactly. in taking that. And I think that's been one of our biggest takeaways from a lot of this is that yeah you know there's yeah there's not that much magic to this in the end it's not like oh like you know if you don't know the rain dance for endorsements then like well obviously you're not going to make good decisions you know like it's sort of like, I don't know, you sit down, you think about it, you, you think carefully about the impact it'll have, you run it by a lot of people. Like, you know, you can actually sort of get, get a sense of like, what realistically speaking are the impacts of the various things that you can do? And yeah, what's the highest return impact thing that you can do? What's the thing you can do, which is gonna have the biggest impact on, on potential users, you know, given whatever resources you're spending on it. Yeah, I think that uh, the greatest football player of all time and arguably yeah. his wife, who's probably the number one supermodel of all time, probably swings in, in the uh, disproportionate upside direction. Exactly, right? It's not like we're like, well, we did all these branding studies and they surprisingly told us that Tom and Giselle were popular. Like, <laughs> no, <laughs> you know, you know, like, no, that they are, <laughs> you know, it's just sort of argued that way. But I would imagine that most people who are doing these sort of endorsements, ambassadorships are probably hiring the classic team of PR agents and agencies who are digging into the focus groups and numbers. And it seems that yeah. they're above that. that that's sort of our sense. Not that they don't matter, but that like, they're, that's sort of like not all there is to it. Um, and that a lot of that can be replicated with like, you know, well, I don't know, who do you think pulls the best? Um, and, and our sense also is that some of the, the mistakes people fall into here is that they end up listening too much to like, they in this weird position, you know, where they have like, they have their committee or their wh whoever it is, you know, wh whether it's sort of an agent who isn't really aligned with them, whether it's a committee, whether it's their budget department or and whatever, somehow they end up in a position where like, they make a decision, oh, well, we could do X or we could do Y. And they sound semantically quite similar, but Y is only half the cost. So let's do Y. And they consider it like, a good business decision and huge cost savings. And you know, what they've done is that they've changed from like, you know, uh, Tom Brady to like, you know, the, the the 12th best quarterback in the league right now. And it's sort of like, yeah, you know that, I don't know, I'm not saying they're not good, but like, there's a reason that there's a discrepancy there. And like, if you sort of stop for a second and just like ask like literally anyone you'd ever met, like anyone, like what they thought the relative values of those were, they actually would have gotten it more right than your process did. Oh, hundreds of times, uh, hundreds of times, because uh, the, the, Tom Brady's a unicorn, right? I mean, exactly. the, the difference between Tom Brady and like, 
I, Eli Manning on a, you know, whatever. Exactly. Eli Manning's actually a huge name. He's won some Super Bowls, but there's no one else. There's no one else, right? And it's a classic thing, you, you know, you trade Manning brothers or something for, for like a 30% discount. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so true. Guys, I'm really excited to be sponsored by Harmony. I know all of us have traded their coin one in the past, but what they're fundamentally doing is a game changer. Harmony is your open platform for assets, collectibles, identity, and governance. Think of it as the one to bridge all blockchains. Harmony is open and insanely fast with two second transaction finality and a hundred times lower fees than Ethereum. Their secure bridges offer cross-chain asset transfers with Ethereum, Binance, and almost every single other chain. Maybe most exciting is that Harmony, in cooperation with Sushi, will be providing $4 million in incentives for liquidity mining. Find out more about this program and build something yourself at thewolfofallstreets.link slash Harmony. That's thewolfofallstreets.link slash Harmony. Build on Harmony, run on all chains. So listen, if you're able to aside a, a theoretical ROI on the naming rights and if it's worth it, that means that you have an idea of the value of FTX. I'm not asking you to give yeah. me a number, but how do you value, how do you get a valuation of a company like yours that's growing so incredibly quickly? The metrics are changing on a month to month basis, I would imagine. We just went through this massive bull run, you know. Yeah. And, and I think one of the interesting things we see here, actually, when we go through this, especially when we talk to a lot of other, you know, outside people about it, is this interesting confusion where sort of what happens is we don't quite naturally fit into any of their boxes. Um, on the one hand, it's like a fast growing tech company and they have a box for that, you know, like fast growing tech company is a well-known paradigm. Um, but on the other hand, it's like already a pretty profitable tech company. And, and there's also a paradigm for that, but there actually basically isn't a paradigm for like fast growing profitable tech company that's young. Right, it sort of like fits awkwardly somewhere in between the like, you know, growth fintech bucket, um, and like, you know, the sort of like public market, you know, mature social media fintech type things, and and so that's definitely something actually that's like makes it a little bit more complicated to value, um, because it's not clear how you put those together, um, but. You know, I think that when we think about it, there, there are a few pieces. One, obviously, we have numbers. You know, we can just look at where are we today, right? Uh, another thing we can look at is where might we be just really straightforwardly in the next few years if you don't project out anything that we think is like, you know, probably won't happen. And you only project out the things which like, you know, the growth that seems like the most likely for us. And you don't project out with, you know, 100% probability or anything, you know, but you just think, well, okay, here's sort of like, a demographic we do quite well with, like we've been growing quite quickly with it. Here's how big the whole space is in terms of that. Here's how big we are, you know, and from that here's sort of an amount of growth we might get from it. Um, and so I think that's sort of like, you know, another approach is looking for like the most straightforward potential pieces of growth. And then looking at like, you know, what would our business look like after those in terms of, you know, in terms of revenue basically. Um, and, uh, you know, we're fortunately in a position where most of the things that we're doing aren't super cost intensive, right? And so because of that, you know, there isn't so much this like really complicated sort of like, you know, well, okay, that, that's sort of the revenue side, but like, are you gonna be profitable at it? You know, are the costs gonna outweigh it? Sort of like, I don't know, like it's like, you know, trading fees, they, they're, they're net positive. Like, you know, it's sort of how it is. Like, you know, I'm not super worried about us net losing money on trading fees. Right. Um, and so, so that's sort of another thing, but, but then the third thing that we do when we think about the business, is there some things that are none of those? 
Like there's some things that are very different than what we're doing right now. And I think you look at, at things like FTX pay as an example of that. Um, and, you know, frankly, you look at, at sort of the real um, you know, consumer retail market where we are not very big right now, but obviously we're trying to make big plays in. And think about, well, what, what, what does a market there look like and what might we be able to get? I think those are the kinds of things that, that we're adding together. Um, and obviously, you know, there's some more twists on it, right? Like, you know, we're not just looking at sort of crypto native ecosystem growth because, you know, we also have the equities, you know, internationally. And, and I mean, you know, have, have a broker dealer license in the US, like, you know, it's pretty clear where that's sort of going and heading towards. And so I think all of those things are like things that, that play a role in it. Yeah, it's funny to hear you say that the fast growing tech company, but fast growing tech company with income, it's like you're actually spending money you right. made as opposed to spending money you raised. Money that we're raising, <laughs> exactly, right? <laughs> and it, it almost just doesn't compute in a way for something. They're sort of like, like oh, that, that's sort of weird. Like, you know, I don't know, like, like the, the, you know, we talk to these places and they have like two funds, right? They have like their growth fund and they have their like public markets fund. And they're just sort of like, it's just, just doesn't, it's like, it doesn't quite fit in either, you know? Like it's, and they're sort of like, look, you know, I don't know, maybe we'd want it best, but like, I don't, I don't know. We're gonna have to see if, if we have a fit for it anywhere. Like if we have any, any fund we've raised that has the right mandate for this. Yeah. You don't have like five angry guys in suits asking you why you made a decision <laughs> with, their, right. with their money. Exactly. And I think that's also like a big thing from our perspective is like, we have to be nimble, like you know, the only way we've gotten where we have is by being nimble, it's by being able to adapt and by being able to do what's right for the company, you know? And, and, and that's like super, super important to us. Like we, we don't want to lose that. Uh, and, and, you know, we don't like, you know, playing through the valuation game. It's not, it's not a necessary game for us if we don't want to. And so, you know, we certainly want, wouldn't want to do that at the expense of our ability to run the business the way it needs to be run. Yeah, it makes you question how most businesses our run and and the model oh, it because it, does. It, it literally just drives people towards trying to build a business to sell and not trying to build a business yeah. that's the best business. Oh, certainly. I mean, we had one call where, you know, someone was trying to talk to us about, well, you should like build this product instead of this other product because it's a higher multiple product. I'm not sure you need higher multiple products. So like, well, companies in this sector tend to have a higher revenue, multiple, like valuation to revenue multiple. Then this other sector, I'm sort of thinking like, all right, first of all, like, I really don't think we should be like building our company based on revenue multiples to valuations for VCs. Like that's not the ultimate game that matters here. But and then second of all, there's things like, well, okay, but what if one has more revenue, right? Like you're talking about sort of like the multiplier on revenue that you get from it. But like, what if one just at, actually grows the business? And it's a very weird conversation, but but did sort of really strongly just make us feel like, look, like this isn't a lot of people aren't thinking about this, frankly, in terms of like, what's best for the business. Yeah, uh, that's usually what's best for the investor. So that said, we just had this sort of massive bull run, obviously, and, and prices corrected. And I, it was just reported, I, I believe today that across exchanges, it was about a trillion in trading volume in June after doing 2 trillion plus in May. Yep. So what do you think accounts for that? I mean, you know, I think it is just like, you know, bull runs sort of subsiding and um, we saw really, really high volumes going up. In May, I think in June, what we saw was a few things, you know, first of all, obviously a price decrease, also just a little bit of a hangover effect, a lot of people being more wary. Um, we saw a lot of people 
saying, look, we're still going to do crypto, but we're just, we're just sort of like taking it slow for a bit, like getting kind of see what happens. Um, you know, it's been really non-volatile, all things considered. Yeah. Um, in, 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 uh, you know, in, in June and in July. And so like, you know, it's not just there's the price decrease, but like, you know, a little bit of a period of consolidation for the industry sort of as a whole. Um, you know, we'll see how where all this goes, but but there's definitely been a lot of sort of cooling off in a number of ways, not just sort of price cooling off. And, you know, there's just been this really, really big torrent of sort of bad news, <laughs> um, you know, coming out for crypto, a lot of which I, I think, frankly, isn't obviously that bad of news long term, right? And I think especially with the China minor ban where, you know, frankly, I think if you'd ask people like a few months earlier, they would have said, look, a big risk for the industry is the concentration of, of mining in China. Like, what can we do to get miners out of there? But, you know, it's certainly it's, it's you know, not generally good news when, when there's, you know, negative government action. Um, but I think also in general, this is just an opportunity for all the governors to dump their shit on Bitcoin. You know, they sort of felt like, look, like we can't get rid of it anymore and we can't ignore it. But we actually do have a lot of like regulatory things we want to say. If we talk about regulating Bitcoin when it's extremely hot, no one's going to like us. So let's, you know, wait for the wait for the dip um, and, you know, use that opportunity to say all the bad things we need to say about Bitcoin. I think we saw that across a lot of different governments. Yeah, I mean, everybody's piling on and it's not just governments, obviously, when I think the governments start, then the media obviously exactly, runs right? with it. And then any you just get the fully fake news. <laughs> exactly, right? Like any, any bad story anyone had saved up, like, man, now's the time, you know? Yeah, you don't really think you're guessing about the reputational risk of saying things that are bad when uh, an asset is running, you know, from 10,000 to 65,000 in a matter of months, but it's really easy after a 50% drop. Exactly, exactly. And it's sort of like, you know, what gets ratings? Like right now, all of a sudden, you've got a lot of concerned people. And so if you can play into the concern, it's great. Whereas previously, you just had a lot of people looking to FOMO. And if you could play into that FOMO, that's what really got you there. So, you know, I think that, that we're seeing sort of media cycles, which are starting to align with the market cycles. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm curious if you think that huge drop is generally retail that speculated it came in late and panic selling sort of because they're impatient and got scared they're going to lose everything they put in or do you think bigger players are actually unloading at this levels i mean there's a lot of metrics on chain that say that whales are accumulating but we all know that it's hard to really gauge that just by looking at those metrics that's right so i think it was both of those but i think i mean liquidations were a lot of it right like yeah you saw what 20 billion dollars liquidated in the few days uh, the, of the biggest drop, and it's like, yeah, sure, you know, you liquidate $20 billion a position, um, there's going to be price decreases from that, you know, and and so like, I think that was just like a big piece of this. Um, and, you know, outside of that, like, you know, I, I think that it's not clear you would have had nearly as big of a drop without that. And so I think a lot of this was big players getting kind of forcibly selling, right? Um, and, and then I think, and then I think sort of like the cessation of the inflows, like, I think, you know, we're seeing massive retail inflows um, during, you know, April, March, April, May. And, and I think that those have slowed down a lot. And so I think especially if you look on the platforms where that are sort of notorious for huge, huge retail flow, I think that's where you'll see the drop off the, you know, the most clearly. Yeah, I mean, in summer, is, summer is historically slow. I mean, if you kind of look back, do you think that's what we sort of have to look forward to for the next few months? Well, is maybe there's some we just... of that. 
it's, I mean, frankly, the summer is slow effect happens in equity markets as well. Yeah, yeah um, I mean, and it, everywhere, yeah. And it's sort of, you know, for those who don't know, I, I, you know, I think the most common thought here is sort of like a surprisingly dumb one. Dumb, dumb isn't like, oh, well, that, that's what moves market. You know, you know what it is, is like, well, I don't know, it's summer, like there are beaches, like, you know, the bankers, instead of like, think about new deals, they're literally on the beach. And so like, <laughs> right, like literally, like there's less volatility because there's less activity because everyone is like getting off work at 2 p.m. on Fridays to go to Long Island. Um, and so, so there, there really are just like effects like that, that affect markets broadly, uh, including now, you know, probably crypto, frankly. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Uh, sell in May and go away has uh, been a, been a thing for a very, very long time. So, oh yeah. I, I'm curious with all this, as you said, sort of they were probably waiting to dump their news or their FUD on, on yep. the market. How much of that as an exchange CEO concerns you that there will actually now be more regulatory action or anything that could affect your business? So there certainly is going to be more regulatory action. And I think it was inevitable. Like it's, I don't think this is causing a ton of action that never would have happened. But I, I think that like it's being expedited because of this. Um, you know, I think I think people really do see a good opportunity right now to regulate. Um, and so I, you know, I think it's I'm not sure it's bad for us, particularly. I think, you know, one of our advantages, frankly, is being, you know, a sort of international global business that sort of understands, you know, Western regulators and how to how to interface correctly and and you know is going to be responsive to them. Um, but um, uh, but, but, you know, it's going to be a lot of work. Like, I think a lot of this is like, you know, licenses are coming out now at like a pretty steep rate. And, um, and so I think that like, you know, and, and regulatory regimes like faster than sort of like we had been seeing before. And so I think that just means like, well, you know, it's, uh, it, it, it's coming, it's coming quickly. We have to be ready for it. And I think, especially given the global nature of the business, you know, often it's sort of like working on on many things at once. You know, we are we are sort of like, you know, trying to coordinate with many many governments at once right now to to get licenses and stuff. Yeah, I sort of joked with you last time that you probably had more lawyers than uh, employees because of that. And you said something that was really brilliant. You said something to the effect of "You'd rather stay up late than lose sleep." Uh, yeah, I think was the gist, but. I yeah, imagine I think that's you have right. to stay up later. <laughs> well, you know, there's uh, there's a limit how late one can stay up in the end, but uh, but yeah, yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense. I'm just curious if you still view regulation sort of as the largest threat to to everything that you're doing and to this market in general, or something else that we're missing, or is the Lindy effect fully employed and we're going to be here no matter what they do? Yeah, I think like. Uh, I don't see it quite so much as the threat to the business. I think it's a threat to some businesses. I think there's some companies in the industry that are going to have a hard time um, with regulators. Um, I think that for us, we see it as you know a potentially socially valuable time sink. You know, it's it's something which is it's going to be a speed bump because there's just going to be a lot. I mean, the number of forms that that we're filling out is like. You know, every time you want to try to apply for a license somewhere, it's like, all right, there's another hundred pages. But you know, so be it. And, and so I think that, like, um, you know, we see it much more as like, you know, a a big thing that that is going to soak up, 
time and energy rather than, you know, fundamental threat to the business. But I think a lot of that is because, you know, we've sort of been trying to build this business so that it makes sense in a regulated environment. And, you know, we know that crypto is unregulated in a lot of jurisdictions right now, but that isn't going to be true forever. Right. And, you know, you can't always guess exactly what you're going to need to do. And, you know, we're, we're going to, we're going to be uh, learning that as, as time goes, but, but you can, you can at least sort of like build the fundamental blocks such that you think they're going to be compatible with where things are going to be going. And, you know, you can figure out some of the details later, but, you know, we want to build a business that fits into licensing regimes um, as they come out. Though the one sort of like, the one thing I will say about that, and I think the most awkward piece of this is that very, very few jurisdictions have come out with regimes for derivatives. And that's sort of like time and time again, what we come back to is like, there are some jurisdictions that are coming out with licensing regimes. For crypto exchanges, almost none of them are doing it with derivatives in mind, even though derivatives are two thirds of the volume right. in the space. Um, but almost all of them, and it's not that they are actively saying we don't think we it's more than like look we haven't gotten there yet you know this was step one you know come on it's better than nothing we'll get there and 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 but i think it just means that like you know for for a lot of the you know international business you know it's sort of a years-long roadmap for there to be licensing regimes even so this is gonna be a long slog basically because uh, i mean the uk is the first i've even heard like of any of the huge countries talking about derivatives and obviously that was just a somewhat irrational, we're just going to kind of ban it <laughs> and see what happens. Right. And I think, again, this is sort of like, they're like, look, we want to do something right now. We don't have time to do like, uh, you know, it's, I don't know. It's like, I don't know, you, you know, they, they know they don't know how to, to build a whole thing right now. It's like, I don't know, what can we do overnight, you know? Yeah. So potentially are we looking, I mean, you talked about the Chinese, Chinese minor situation, which I totally agree. In my opinion, it's sort of a short-term pain for a long-term gain situation let the market absorb it let the difficulty drop let you know the hash rate drop 50 percent. but we know that it'll move more towards renewables and let more decentralization yep. is that how you view regulation as well that will sort of have these events that the market will have to absorb but long term it'll give a lot of direction and there won't be the uncertainty mostly with some caveats and i think the big caveat here is it depends on exactly how the regulation you know what exactly happens and i think frankly you end up in a lot of places where like you know like there's a lot of pretty reasonable pieces of, of regulation that i think would be helpful for the industry long term would give it clarity and, and legitimacy and probably help weed out some bad actors i think there are also some that are kind of poison pills mm -hmm. and i think that the big thing that we're gonna have to see is how does that shake out right and like you know, I think that if sort of regulators and industry were great at cooperating with each other as a general statement, it would end up good. Um, but I certainly wouldn't confidently make that as a general statement. And I think that like, whenever you see breakdowns in communication, something that could have looked like, you know, regulators say, hey, here are three things we're worried about. Interesters like acknowledge, here are seven sort of caveats on this that are important context and are really important for the business. And we're like, that makes sense. How about these two new initiatives? These seem like they'd be a little bit of a pain, but wouldn't really cut at your core business, but that these would mostly take care of the problems we're thinking of. And then, you know, industry would say, yeah, but can we please change this wording of this one? And, and, and you know, regulators like, yeah, that's reasonable. 
and then all of a sudden you have a new licensing regime. That's not that's sort of the goal, right? But but that's that's often not what happens. Instead, you know, regulars are like fuck you guys, the fuck are you doing? And then interest will fuck you too. And like, all right, if that's how it starts, right? And it sort of started with the regulars saying that, but maybe they weren't the first ones, right? Like maybe it starts with like someone doing something egregiously illegal, right? In this right. space. And regulars are like, fuck that. And like then injuries will fuck you. And like it could have been diffused at many steps in that process, you know? Like it could have been it could have been like, okay, yeah, that 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 really needs to clean itself up, but like that's not most of it. And we'd really like to talk to you about the rest of it. Um, but 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 if you sort of end up on the bad path there. Um, then what you get is regulators struggling to get done the things they need to get done. And when they do things, they sort of like almost accidentally, sometimes or randomly, end up as a big block for a lot of legitimate businesses because there wasn't the sort of like cooperative and, you know, cooperative interactivity necessary to come up with a version of it that didn't um, also shut down businesses. And, and so I think that's the biggest worry is just like poor, poor communication, lack of and cooperation leads to uh, leads to sort of strife on both sides. Do you think that that's a two-way, I mean, you kind of alluded to it, but is that a two-way street or do you think that it's reactionary by the industry to, the, I mean, we see these boomers and like the older just basically with this blanket statement, criminals, energy suck, all the usual FUD, the Elizabeth Warrens and the Mungers and the yep. Warren Buffets, of course. So do you think that the industry just reacts to that or do you think that we do have some reasonable people on both sides and it could happen? Or do you think that I, there's just too much of a divide in who's regulating and the nature of the makeup of the people in our industry? I think it could happen. And, you know, I think, right, like part of the problem is like if the industry cannot do really bad things to start with, that's going to start off on a much better foot, right? You never want to go into this with regulars feeling like, Jesus, we have to regulate the shit out of this. Like this yeah. is a nightmare where if they come out saying, look, we actually think it doesn't seem like that many very bad things are happening here like he's going to have to fit in some regime, then you can have a more relaxed conversation, you know, about look, like, what's the future of this look like? What are some productive first steps to take? Instead of regulars being like, all right, we got like a month to do something here. Like, that's not enough time to come up with the, the regime we want. But so be it, like, we don't, you know, we'll, we're gonna have to run with the regime we get instead. And so I think that's one thing that, that can really help if, you know, and look, like, there are always gonna be times when regulars look at our business, and they're like, yeah, we have a slightly different regime in mind, you know, and we're like, okay, you know, talk, talk to us about that, you know, about what, what you're thinking about there. And, and that's fine. Um, what we never want to happen is a regular looks at our business and like, holy shit, like that's what they're doing. He can't <laughs> come on guys. It's like, it's, 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 it's ferocious, right? We never want that to be the case. And, and if we're doing something like that, we're making a mistake. And I certainly would like to know about <laughs> to hear that as soon as possible. So, yeah. so we can fix that. But you know, I do, I do think it goes both ways there. Um, and, and we've seen examples, you know, it's on a call with, you know, uh, a bunch of people and, uh, you know, Singaporean regulatory body. And, you know, I mean, this was trying to be really cooperative and reasonable. And like, again, and again, and again, they said, that's interesting. Tell us more about this. What's important here? You know, here's how we were thinking about it. Tell us if there are things we're missing. Like, you know, lots of good overtures. I think we also see sometimes when governments will just come out and like just randomly ban shit, you know, sort of like with no explanation or warning or, or cooperation. And so I, I do think that there, there's really spectrums on both sides. I mean, the bankers get a full revolving door with regulators. So shouldn't we at least get like a little taste or something? Right. You think so. And there's, there's starting to be some attempts to do that. 
Um, and I think it's going to happen and he'll be good if it does. You know, frankly, like people talk, there are some really bad parts of these revolving doors, but there are some good parts too, right? The hope is that communication can lead to like cooperative outcomes that are good for, on both sides, as opposed to just like, you know, nepotism or something. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of people in crypto, I mean, everyone in crypto, myself included, just don't have the connections in the same way that the traditional financial industry does and there's sort of a scramble to get those together but it's not you know it's not there yet so on the run up obviously i mean you talk about how the regulators come down when price is down we had some pretty exciting narratives on the way up uh that seem to have cooled off as well institutional adoption of course being one you know institutional yep. floor but then of course supply side shock you know outflows from exchanges things like that do you think that all of those narratives were we were just sort of being hyperbolic and, and euphoric and they, they weren't real or do you think they're dead? Do you think half they're and half. back? <laughs> so, uh, you know, and I think that like on the one hand, the one which I think was the biggest and was right um, was that institutions are coming. We talked to a lot of institutions and they all said they were coming. Like th that, that, is, that was the order they got on from on high was do something. We don't know what, just do something in crypto, right? Like take the first step, make it such that we don't, we can tell our clients that we don't do nothing in crypto. It'll look bad. Yeah. Exactly. And and we'll 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 do it the rest later. But but that's that's what matters, right? Is taking the first step. Like it's how do you get to an institution heavily involved in crypto step by step? Right. And I think even Silvergate, right, which which is now basically a crypto institution, basically it's just a normal bank. And it took some crypto customers and it's like, wait, there's a huge underserved area here. And it took some more. Then it's like, wait, this is actually like this is most of our business now, you know? And so I think yeah. that like that that's that's what needs to happen, and I do think that that narrative was true then and is still true now, although it probably got delayed by three months. You know, I think everyone's sort of like fomoing in less, and so like less desperate to get in. But I do think people are still planning to get in. Um, so that's sort of one side of this, and then I think the other side, you know, uh, there is certainly some hype, and I think that like there were real institutional inflows into Bitcoin. You know, they weren't absolutely massive, but they were a sign of massive things to come. I think that there's sort of like a trickle of interest in Ethereum. I don't think the inflows made it to Ethereum, but I think that there was sort of like signs that there was likely to be future institutional interest in Ethereum. Uh, to some extent, though, I think that's not how it ended up, like how it ended up sort of narrative wise. You know, I think the narrative, and I think someone posted, I don't remember who, someone posted on Twitter, like, man, like we really, we really just convinced ourselves that this was Goldman Sachs, you know, buying Ethereum, but actually it's just us. And, and I think that's what happened, right? I think that there's sure. real signs of institutional coming interest in Ethereum, but I don't think the inflows hit. And I think when people saw the massive price increase and were like, that's the institutions coming in, that, that wasn't, that was the crypto native people buying in anticipation of institutions. We front ran ourselves on a trade that was never <laughs> going to happen. Awesome. <laughs> or, well, maybe it was going to happen too, though. You know, right. it just unfortunately sort of like didn't happen prior to getting liquidated. Right. Yeah. But you have to imagine that they look at those liquidations, sort of what you said, and those cascades. And I mean, we had like 2 million individual retail investors basically liquidated and, and fully, yeah. you know, um, they're smart. So you would think that maybe they see this as an opportunity if the narrative hasn't changed. Yeah, I, I think that some of them are, you know, I think okay. some of them are quietly buying some here. I think some of them are sort of like, so note that moving quickly isn't 
necessarily the strength of a lot of these institutions, right? They have massive, massive impact when they do move somewhere, but many of them aren't like the fastest people to get there. And so I think like uh, that that is sort of like a necessary, like a necessary correction on this is like there Muslim can't sort of opportunistically jump in. Muslim can opportunistically lumber in. Right. So do you think that we need a new fresh bullish narrative to bust out of this range and start heading back up? Or you Basically. know, because it's yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think it'll probably happen, but I uh, but you know, I I do think it has to happen. It's, I mean, it wasn't enough for it to be El Salvador, uh, legal tender, and other companies you know, starting to follow. I, I mean, is it? Are we literally so? Is it so sad that we have to sit and wait for Elon Musk to say something like, uh, exciting? I mean, you and know, Tesla's going to take Bitcoin again. Yeah, right. Way. Frankly, I mean, I think that would help. <laughs> I yeah. mean, I don't know what to say, but yes, <laughs> um, uh, that man moves markets, and you know, I mean, he tribute contributed non-trivially to the to the run up, right, in Dogecoin, and I. Uh, you know, I think like it's, uh, 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 and, and, you know, I think if he, if he, you know, really got behind Bitcoin, I think it's like, I think people see it as almost a little embarrassing that like, huh, I can't even get Elon. Like he was, he was your one supporter. Right. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it really is interesting. You look at the chart, you know, even just simply at price and, you know, price ran from 20 to 42 and then consolidated for a month and it took a 1.5 billion dollar buy by tesla to break that range and and break up and yep. now we're just ranging back where we were before tesla came back in at one point it's basically like you eliminated right. everything mean, the entire elon musk effect and are back to 30 to 40. exactly and when we're at 30 or 40 is an incredibly bullish narrative right the so first exciting. Time, <laughs> right and now it's sort of like yeah, we've been here before come on can't can't we can't we go back back up there you know um and I think a lot of people will say, well, wasn't it so bad then for the space that, that we had this run up and, and crash? Like, doesn't that mean volatility is bad? And I think people are just like trying to, to, to get the good without the bad, right? They want all the excitement and all the attention, all the new users from running up to 60K. Um, and they're trying to get that without, without having actually run up there in the first place. And, and I don't think you do. And I think like, I don't know, it's a trade-off. You know, there's a lot of hesitancy but like the fact that people are hesitant implies that they're considering it in the first place, which right. wasn't even true for a lot of people prior to the big run up. I mean, it's crazy during that run that you saw Bitcoin on the ticker on every mainstream media source right yeah. next to every other asset. And it was, I mean, it was part of every single news story. No, absolutely. And it's never imagined that it would happen. Yeah, no, it's, it was absolutely sort of amazing. And I knew, frankly, you walk down the street right now, and like, are people talking about crypto? You know what they might be. You know, yeah, crash. People actually might still be talking about it. They, there's still a lot of interest in it. Um, and I think like, you know, there's frankly more than before any of this started. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I, I 100% agree with that. So I, I, I'm curious if you have, a, I mean, since we are just trading between 30 and 40, endlessly now at seven or eight weeks when we're recording this. Um, do you have a really strong feeling on which way this will be? And I'm not saying like in the next six months, but a year from now, two years from now, do you think that uh, we can still hope for up only? <laughs> I think so. I mean, it, you, you never get up only, right? Like, right. And, and, and it's sort of like, 
amazing how true it seemed for a while. But but the real answer is, you know, what you can only you can only go up if if you can go down, right? Right. Nothing can go up continuously forever, or it's a horribly inefficient market. And the answer is it should have just gone up earlier. And what happens is people realize that, and so they start buying in anticipation. The market gets more efficient, but it also means you quickly, more quickly reach a state where it's already realized in expectation all the inflows, and maybe it overshot, maybe it undershot, and so maybe it'll sort of keep going up or down. But uh, you know, we're not going to get up only, but that doesn't mean we can't get up. Right. But does that to me, to you, mean that we had a bull market, we just ended that bull market and we're in a bear market? I, I hate, by the way, I hate even having to make those right. determinations. To me, it's like we had a bull market up to 65, we're correcting, and now we may, might get another bull market, but that one's sort of over. <laughs> sort of yeah, my, that, my that's approach. my thought. We're kind of like, I don't know, you know, anything could happen next, right? Like, but, but I do think that on the medium to long term, we still see a lot of bullish things, so to speak, right? Like, there's still the institutions, they still haven't come in and they're still kind of planning to. And, and so I do think that's still there, but that's not, it's not gonna happen tomorrow. And, and so short-term anything could happen and long-term a lot of things could happen. Like that's just one factor, you know? And like, there are still a lot of other things that I think could have pretty big impact. So I, I'm curious, totally, totally pivoting. What is the balance of your day to day? You sort of touched on the fact that like you have meetings every four hours, middle of the night. Are yep. you are you are you like are you trading? Are you running the business? I mean, it seems like you have a thousand. Are you right. doing endorsement deals? <laughs> you know, right? I, you're I'm obviously practicing. an incredible multitasker because like I don't know, I have ADHD, so I have to do like three things at once. But it's always yep. amazing hearing you're typing like kind of while you're talking, yeah, and I know that you can do like ten things at once. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, you know, I would say that recently it's been a lot of business things and sort of what I mean by that is like markets have been more quiet. There's been a lot less sort of like in the moment, like needing to, to, to address things. And, and there's been a lot more like, what's the important thing for FTX? Like, what do we need to be focusing on medium term? What are the products where in six months? we're going to be really sad if we don't have them and we're going to be really happy if we do. And what do we need to do to get from here to there? You know, what do we need to make sure we are starting on today so that six months from now we are where we want to be. And then, and then how do we do that? Those are, I think the things that I've been thinking about the most. And so we, you know, whereas I think often we'll have like this barrage of like seven small to medium features planning to release over the next week. Now I feel more like we have this barrage of seven, absolutely massive like business changing features which we're planning to release over the next year that we're sort of like working on in the background and so it's i don't know if it's sort of more or less per unit time that we're coming out with uh, but it's certainly like bigger slower things that's really interesting because a lot of people have commented always in hindsight of course that like the best time to build is the quote-unquote bear market i'm not saying yeah. that we're in a bear market but i have to imagine when price is raging like that that you oh, have certainly. to be fully focused on maximizing all of the oh, opportunities certainly. That i come mean with you that. frankly were like look you could be building out the business or you could be doing kyc right now fucking do kyc right like i don't right, care that that's not here. your job like it's like there's so much right and then sort of like things calm down for a bit and you know, it's easier to maintain, you know, there's just like fewer things that have absolutely massive short-term payoffs. And so it makes more sense to re repurpose more of your firepower for the medium term. Are there any of those things that you're looking to build that you can talk about? 
Um, I think most of them aren't super old, but I think again, one which I guess is the one we decide to leak or something. I don't know. It's I mean, it's like semi leaked it so many times, but like you, know, I mean, we have we have worker beta license right in the U.S. Like it's sort of I don't know, pretty clear what, what where that one's headed, um, and um, you know, I think that's something on the next you know few months time scale that we're thinking about. Um, hopefully having released. So, so what does that look like? So it's. I wish I could tell you exactly what it looks like, and and actually, frankly. Some of what, like some of what we're trying to figure out is exactly what it looks like, but you know, broadly speaking, it, you know, there's a chance to offer more than just crypto products. Um, and you know, we've obviously done this internationally. We haven't done it in the States yet, but we're looking at that. And I, I think that there's a lot of complicated operational and regulatory questions around exactly how products interface with each other in the States. And part of this is that like, we think a lot of existing players have made choices that aren't the chases we'd make. In terms of how to structure things, you see a lot of non-integrated products. You see a lot of pretty sort of like sectioned off products where it's kind of awkward. Um, and we're sort of, you know, which is very different than like how FTX.com works, right? right? Where like, you know, by default, it's just like, yeah, you got one wallet, you put whatever you want in it, all cross margin, right? And, you know, without sort of futures or, or leverage in the States, it's a little bit of a different story. Um, but, but I think just we're still thinking about like, I mean, what exactly is FTX US, right? And what I mean by that is like, when we say it's an exchange for crypto, that, that means like 12 things, right? Like it means it, it's an it exchange of wallet information engine, like custody clearing, you know, GUI, mobile app, API, customer relationship, AML, KYC. If you, I don't know, you look like stocks, for instance, right? Those are all different, or there's something like different, different pieces or like different parts of it, right? Often you have like six companies involved in a trade, occupying like different subsets of it. Like what, why, you know, why is that? What's the right way to do things? What are your options? Um, I think those are sort of like, those are all sort of like things that we're thinking about that I don't know that I know the answer for sure to. Um, but I think there's super interesting questions which get to the heart of like, when we look at the way that a lot of products are built today, they're not how we build them. And why is that? And is there actually an opportunity to do it the way we think makes the most sense? That makes sense. Watch out, Robin Hood. Um, so I, I know we're out of time here. Um, could you tell everybody where they can uh, follow you after this and see what you guys yep. are up to moving forward? I mean, as always, Twitter is where I am most active. Uh, SBF Alameda, and you, know, you can go to uh, FTX.com, check out our product, FTX.us if you're in the States. Um, and I, I, I mean, you know, all, all roads lead to Rome in terms of, uh, in terms of where you start and where you'll end up. So Absolutely. Well, I'm glad to see that they've uh, freed you from captivity because I know yep. that you were somehow doing all of this in a hotel room for two weeks. Yeah, definitely going a little crazy by the end of it. Well, I'm glad, glad you made it out. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this and uh, I'll start prepping for round three. Sounds good. Thanks, Sam.